Good morning. I'm Bill Gorman. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community. And uh, let me read our scripture for us this morning. Uh, This is found on page 1012 in your pew Bible. So you can grab one of those and uh, follow along. Or, you know, of course, you can pull it up on your phone just by putting James 3 into Google. You will find that anywhere on the web. But here's our passage um, from this morning. And if you don't own a Bible of your own, a printed copy of God's Word, feel free to take one of those as a gift from us. Hear God's Word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How a great forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, well, as we continue, you may be seated. As we continue worshiping together this morning, we're going to continue in our series in James, in this letter that Pastor James wrote to his congregation scattered around Jerusalem, encouraging them in the way of Jesus. And as we do that, as we continue through our service in this way now, worshiping the Lord, we want to pause and just pray that God would be with us and that he would use his word to transform our words. Let's do that now. Father in heaven, we're thankful that you have given us your written word, that you've preserved it and protected it, that it points us to the living word, Jesus, and that by your spirit it is able to divide and to discern and to direct and to convict us. And so we pray that your word would do that now. Would the meditation of our hearts and the words of our mouth be pleasing in your sight? We pray this in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it shouldn't surprise us, but some of the most regrettable things that have ever been said uh, have been said on the internet, have happened on the internet, right? And again, we know this, uh, but just to remind us, I found a few examples this week I thought I'd share with you to begin. Um, he- here's one. Uh, it says, there is no I in happiness. The comment is, well, if you spelled it right, there would be. 
Um, that's one. Here's, here's another one. Um, let's see, I can't read the glare over here. I gotta look at this side. When I die, I want my epitaph to read, mistakes were made. And then Evan writes back, wasn't that already on your birth certificate? Ooh. Okay, here's another one. Uh, maybe it's not always about trying to fix something broken. Maybe it's about starting over and creating something better. To which someone wrote, and that's why you have a younger brother. Um, ouch. Okay, uh, here's another one. Without the ugly in this world, there would be nothing beautiful. Thank you for your sacrifice. Ooh, another one. Okay, and then this one, this one's probably really hard to read, but it says, in the blue up there, the little box says mom, and then the, the big circle there, it says, people who think I'm attractive. And then the mom comments, and you know that, that's not true, and you know that. To which the person replies, thanks, mom. So, you know, our words have incredible power. Uh, power to wound and the power to heal. Power to build up and the power to utterly destroy. In fact, Proverbs 18.21, and, and if you're not as familiar with the Bible, Proverbs is this collection of wisdom that's in the, the first part of the Bible called the Old Testament. It just builds on, on so much of, of the thought, life of the whole Bible. But it puts this succinctly. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And in the age of social media and text and email that can all easily be screenshotted and saved and archived and kept forever, our words can travel faster and further and remain longer than ever before. In fact, Sherry Turkle, who wrote a book a number of years ago called Reclaiming Conversation about the importance of, of actual embodied face-to-face -face conversation in a digital age, talks about one of the, the most destructive things about how we communicate today, and she was specifically looking at um, young adults, college students, is because so much of our conversation happens in written form, text, email. It can be saved and read and reread over and over and over again. And she pointed these college students who would have a relationship and then they would break up and someone would break up with them over text or send them an email saying why they, they couldn't be with them anymore. And these people would just sit there and read and reread those words over and over again. Right? It's, it's one thing for someone to speak something painful to you. It's another thing to have a record of those words that you can go back to a month later, a year later, a decade later. And yet we have that power. Our words can travel faster and they can remain longer than ever before. I think we all have words we wish we could take back, don't we? I mean, I know I do. I, I thought about trying to share some examples of that, but most of the ones that would be real are just they're too painful, too embarrassing, too shameful. To share. Maybe for you as a text exchange, or worse, accidentally, maybe you've been there of, of replying all to an email, making fun of someone or criticizing someone that you only meant to, to send to someone on that email thread. Or maybe it was in the middle of an argument with a, with a spouse or a friend or a coworker or, or a parent or a child and in the heat of that conversation, that argument, you feel hurt and you instantly spew something that you wish you could pull back. Singer-songwriter Sarah Gross has this piercing line in her song, Roll to the Middle. 
She says, we just had World War III here in our kitchen. We both thought the meanest things, and then what? And then we said them. We shot each other till we lost ammunition. Those middle two lines of that song are just so, again, so piercing for me. We both thought the meanest things, and then we said them. When it comes to words, we all have regrets, and we all have wounds. None of us walks into a conversation on speech without having been wounded, often most deeply by those who are closest to us, right? Our, Our parents, our friends, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, a boss. We have regrets and we have wounds. And in this series, we're studying a letter that, that again, Pastor James wrote to someone, uh, who, this group of, of, of congregation members who are spread out across the Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem across the area of the Roman Empire. Again, we, as best we can kind of tell that James is this pastor of this congregation in Jerusalem. He's one of the leaders of the church there, but then there's this persecution that breaks out and this church kind of has to scatter. And now James is writing um, these early followers of Jesus, some of these very first followers of Jesus, reminding his brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, the church, what it looks like to live as if Jesus is actually the risen and reigning king. And that's one way to talk about what real faith is. That's what we're calling this series, real faith. Real faith is living as though it is actually true that Jesus is king. In many ways, that's so much of what the New Testament is doing, helping followers of Jesus understand And imagine in fresh ways, what does it look like to be God's people, to live in this current age as if Jesus really is the king? Because he is. And today we see that real faith transforms our tongues. Real faith transforms our tongues. And and I, I just want to, what's at stake here this morning, if we don't get this, if we don't work this into our lives, is that if we live life without real faith transforming our tongues, you will continue, and I say continue because we all are doing this, we will continue to send life-destroying shrapnel into our souls, into the souls of others through our words. But, but on the other side, if we allow real faith in King Jesus to begin to transform our tongues, we can actually become sources of life wells of living water, of healing to people. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So let's dive into what Pastor James has for us here in in chapter 3 and a little bit in chapter 4 as well. And what we're going to do as we walk through this text, we're going to see first, James is going to show us the power of the tongue. He's going to walk us through the poison that comes from our tongue. And then finally, we'll look at three practices that we can employ for beginning to have our tongues transformed by King Jesus. And the first thing that we see is the power of the tongue. And James has this pattern that he uses all throughout uh, his letter to these congregation members. In fact, if you've been with us and you've picked up one of our uh, kind of companion journals to the series, the the Real Faith Companion Journal, uh, in the beginning of that, you'll see, we actually were able to print, because it's a short enough book of the Bible, the entire letter of James in here, just printed in here. So this is a place where you can mark up and scribble. And um, again, we have these in the back. If you're newer or you haven't picked one up or you picked one up and you lost it, feel free to grab another one of these. Um, But as you're looking and maybe marking up James in this 
book, you might look for this pattern, because this is kind of how James rhetorically works in this book. He'll give an instruction, like, don't show favoritism. Or here in, in this, this uh, passage, it begins with, not many of you should become teachers. So he gives this kind of instruction, this command, followed by some illustrations and examples, and then further explanation. So kind of with each topic he's doing that, you'll get a short kind of command, instruction, and some examples, illustrations, and then further explanation. That's exactly what we see him doing here. And the instruction he begins with here is in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, this doesn't mean that Bible teachers are somehow more important, but rather James is pointing out that we're all going to be evaluated on our words, what we have said. Jesus makes this really clear in other places in, in the Gospels as well. And that teachers just have a lot more opportunities to say a lot of words in significant ways, which means they have a lot more opportunity to be judged on the basis of what they say. And then James goes on to give several illustrations or examples of the power of the tongue. A small bit in a horse's mouth, a small rudder on the back of a ship, a small fire, or a spark that ignites a huge fire, right? Because you can take a tiny piece of metal and put it into a horse's mouth, a 2,000-pound Clydesdale like this one. And you can direct that animal anywhere you want them to go with just a small piece of metal. A little rudder can direct a 640,000-ton ship. This is one of the, I don't know if I have the ship picture. Yeah, there we go. Um, I mean, this is one of the largest container ships ever built. And just a small rudder, the pilot can steer that ship anywhere they want to go. And we've all seen, right, the power of wildfires. They don't just burst in a wildfire into full flame like this. It can be something simple as a lightning strike, a careless cigarette, or even a chain from a trailer dragging along and creating a spark on a pavement that can ignite a blaze. And before James even makes any moral statements or value statements about our tongue in this passage, he just wants, us to, wants to drive home to us the power of our tongues. He wants us to sit with the incredible power that our tongues have. Why? Because the things that are of great power are most dangerous when we forget their power. Things of great power become the most dangerous when we forget how powerful they are. Think about a table saw, right? A table saw has a massive amount of power. It can slice through hardwoods effortlessly. And it's a tool that's designed to create and is capable of creating goodness and beauty in the world, helping to build a house or woodwork or furniture. It's, it's a tool that's designed to create beauty, but it is also capable of instantly cutting off all your fingers, and the moment that you forget that it has the power to do that is the moment that you start becoming careless. The moment that you forget its power. And I think what James wants us to see is he's trying to drive home for us here is we are all walking around with a table saw in our mouths. Something of incredible power that can make things of great beauty but that can also maim others and cause incredible pain and hurt. 
We are all walking around with that kind of power. And the moment that we are thoughtless about how we use it is the moment that someone else gets maimed. And and the same is true of driving a car, another thing of incredible power, right? We all know and are constantly reminded, right, about the dangers of distracted driving, of texting and driving, of being on your phone. But how often do we think about the dangers of distracted speaking? speaking carelessly, thoughtlessly. James wants us to confront us with James wants to confront us with this incredible power of our tongue so that we will never treat that power carelessly because the moment that we treat those things of great power carelessly is the moment that we and others begin to be harmed. Because when we do treat them carelessly, thoughtlessly or even maliciously, they can inject venom into anyone around us. And that's actually what we see next, what James shows us next here in the following verses, is that the tongue is incredibly powerful, and that power can be so deadly because of the poison that comes from the tongue. And again, this is the, really, I think, the heart of James' teaching on the tongue here in this passage. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, So also the tongue is a small member, it's a small part of our bodies, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, And then what James says here is so strong and sobering. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among the members, our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I mean, the point that James is making here is the opposite of what he said earlier in the passage where he said, if, if you can control your tongue, you, you are perfect in every way. <laughs> you can control your whole body. But if you don't control your tongue, your whole life, your whole being is stained and wrecked by that. And we could give a thousand examples here, right? I mean, from our own lives of how that is true. But even just think most recently, I mean, the headlines this week about now former Raiders coach John Gruden whose careless and demeaning, image-bearing, defacing language destroyed his career and poisoned people made in the image of God. Right, from the lies that we spread to avoid trouble or to cover for ourselves or to get ahead or the gossip that we pass along to tear down others or to build ourselves up, these are poisonous enemies in our lives. And we, we know this experientially, but we also know it biblically. If we step back and look at the origin story of human sin in the Bible, if you go back to the opening pages of the Bible in Genesis and you read how does sin enter into the world, we see that sin comes into the world through the power of words. Words straight from hell. As the serpent speaks to Adam and Eve, the rebellion against God that begins in the garden. Like, the serpent doesn't come to Adam and Eve with a force or an army. He comes to them with an idea. With a lie. With words. Friends, how much evil and pain and division and hate and destruction in our lives is attributed to the the power of lies and poison of our words? As followers of Jesus, we must continually see and live into the reality that our faith, real faith, transforms our tongues. And this means we need to be acutely aware of the kinds of poisons that our words produce. 
And so if you look down to verse 9 here, James continues, he says, with it, our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and we curse people who are made in the image of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, James, please, these things ought not be so. I mean, I I don't know how well that speaks to your experience, but that speaks to mine. We gather here on Sunday morning and we sing songs of praise to God and bless Jesus and exalt him in our words. And then how many times have just an hour later I'm at home and one of the kids does something and I lose my temper in the same tongue that blesses and praises God comes cursing. James says this ought not to be so. This ought not to be so. Because when our tongues spew poison, they are cursing human beings. Men and women who are made in God's image. Boys and girls who are created in his likeness. And and, and when we do that, it's like going to, to the Louvre and, and taking spray paint and the utility knife to the Mona Lisa. We're, we're defacing someone that Jesus had thought about and created and, and loves and died for, and, and we're saying to that person, you are worthless. And, and again, I don't know we often think about it. We, we usually don't. That's the problem. We're not thinking about it in the moment. But when we lose our temper, when we speak a harsh word or a word in anger to and again, usually it is. It's to a family worker, a family member, a coworker, someone close to us. Again, we don't think about it like this, but in essence, we're like kind of, it's almost like we're pulling Jesus aside and say, Jesus, you, you see that person over there? I know, that person you, you love so much that you died a torturous and humiliating death to rescue them, that you made them, you love them so much. You know what, Jesus? I think they're a worthless piece of excrement. Brothers and sisters, these things should not be so. They should not be so. But here's the problem. Even though these things should not be so, they are so. My tongue, your tongue, our tongues, the tongues of James' congregation 2,000 years ago, this is not a new problem. This is not a problem of, of social media this is not a problem with the internet. This is a 2,000 longer, much longer than that year old problem. But that when our tongues curse people in the image, made in the image of God, we stand judging and say, Jesus, those people you made, they're worthless. So what do we do about it? Well, thankfully, in verse 7, James gives us this encouraging word. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but, verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So James says, this tongue thing of yours is a real problem, and by the way, you can't tame it. It's like, thanks a lot, James. Like, you're... (laughs) 
you're telling me that this is such a problem, but, but it can't be tamed? Is there nothing that we can do about it? I mean, essentially, James is saying here, you know, it's easier to tame wild beasts than it is to tame our tongues, which means that it is easier to be this guy right here. It's easier to be the Tiger King than to consistently speak words of life and kindness and encouragement from our tongues. It's, it's easier to be that guy, to tame wild beasts than consistently to speak love and encouragement and blessing on a regular basis. And James is clear, we cannot directly tame our tongues. But there are practices that we can pursue to help our tongues. Because real faith in King Jesus releases a power beyond your own ability that has the power to transform your tongue. Again, if, if we're just posting this from like a sin management, I'm going to try harder not to, not to lose my temper or to say harsh things or not to do whatever with my speech, you, you, that will get you a little bit of the way. But eventually, you will find yourself faltering. But through faith in Jesus, you actually, this is what faith does. Sometimes I think we, faith in Jesus just sets us free from judgment after we die. But faith in Jesus actually brings that new life, that new creation power sort of back in time to this present moment and it begins to transform your life. You actually have access to power to do what you could not do on your own through faith in Jesus, here and now. And so I want to suggest three practices for the tongue this morning that will help us unleash that power in our lives. And the first practice here is to pay attention to your heart. And I don't just mean your feelings or your emotions, though that is vital, and so often we're not connected or aware of those things, and that can lead to so much of this carnage our tongue calls. But biblically, the heart is kind of your mind, your will, your desires, all of that kind of wrapped up into one, including your emotions, your feelings as well. And what is James' point? His point is that, again, behavior management, sin management will never tame the tongue on their own. You can't just try harder and expect to see lasting change. The tongue is too powerful. It's too dangerous. You have to address the source of what the tongue speaks. And that, Jesus tells us in the Gospels, is our hearts. This is it's out of the abundance of our hearts. What, what is in the core of what we long for, what we desire, which we're going to hear a lot more from next week. Pastor Dakota is going to lead us in that faith and desire sermon next week because they're so closely linked. James connects them so closely here. But it's that area of our wanting, our longing, our desire, and our affections that shapes what comes out of our mouths. And Kurt Thompson, who was with us this week um, on Thursday night, if you were, I know many of you were there, if you didn't get a chance to either tune into the live stream or, or be there in person, it's on our YouTube channel now. I encourage you, it is worth the 45 minutes to an hour of his talk and the Q&A. It's so powerful. But, but Kurt says we have to pay attention what we're paying attention to. You have to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. And when we do that, we, when we begin to attend to what is actually happening in our hearts, we begin to see and to grow. And until we attend to our hearts, we will never escape the terror of our tongues. Right? If you want your tongue transformed, you have to attend to your heart. And that starts by paying attention. And, and also by being curious rather than just being condemning. Because I think if you're anything like me, that often when you do have a moment where you blew it and you spoke a word to someone that you love, that you care about, and you just realize, oh my goodness, I just hurt them so badly. 
my tendency in that moment is to be just condemning of myself. Like, how could you possibly have done that? And to live in the shame of that moment, which maybe is appropriate to feel shame in that moment. But if we're only condemning and not curious, we won't ever break the pattern. You got to be curious. Like, what was happening in my heart in that moment? So be curious about those moments, not just condemning. That's, that's the first practice, to pay attention to your tongue. Uh, the second one is this. Censor your speech. Censor your speech. Now, there's a lot of important conversation happening right now about censorship and cancel culture and freedom of speech and First Amendment rights in our culture right now. And, and we need to pay attention and be engaged in that conversation. It's really important, right? Some of those basic fundamental rights that are so core to how our democracy and society function, making sure those are healthy. It's really important. But here's the thing. When it comes to us and our tongues, we have to censor our tongues, friends. They need censorship. We cannot let these things just say whatever comes into our minds. And and James writes early on in in his letter, chapter 1, verse 19, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry. We have to be slow to speak so that we can put a filter in between. You know, even on our, our live streams, this hopefully it's for technical reasons and not for anything, you know, us speaking going totally off the wire. But we put a, a, like a two-minute delay, right, between what is on the live stream and what goes there. In case there is a problem on the, the technical, we can fix it and then cut that, drop that, and, and it just goes on seamlessly. We need that. That's why James says be slow to speak. We need that kind of maybe two minutes, maybe long. We need a, a delay between what comes into our minds and what comes out of our mouths. And it needs to be run through a filter. But what is the filter? Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul, who worked with Pastor James, they met together in Jerusalem. They're both in this mission of helping people follow Jesus in this earliest days of the church. They give, he gives us a great filter in Ephesians 4.29. And this filter is especially important when we're hungry or angry or lonely or tired. Maybe you've heard that acronym before, HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. That when you're in that place, you've got to be extra aware of being slow to speak. Extra aware. So what's the filter Paul gives us here in Ephesians 4.29? I've got it on the screen. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul packs a lot into that one sentence. But if you're going to break it down, I think here's the the basic components of the filter that Paul gives us. First is the question, does it build up? Is what I'm about to say something that is constructive and not destructive in the life of the hearer? Is what I'm about to say something that's going to be constructive, not destructive? And this is key because what we're talking about here, what James is talking about here, what Paul is talking about here is not just sort of a saccharine niceness that never says hard things, that never says uncomfortable things, that never says things that might make someone else upset. That's not his point. Sometimes we have to say hard things. Sometimes we have to have difficult conversations. But you can do that in a constructive way or you can do that in a destructive way. Asking that question, is what I'm about to say, is it going to build up? 
And, and a really important part of whether or not something is constructive or destructive is not only the content of what is said and how it's said, but also when it's said. And that's what Paul gives us next. And that question here is, is it necessary now? And Paul, because he uses language, as fits the occasion. Is this the right thing to say right now? And is this the right time to say it? Not, not only does what I'm going to say, is it going to be something that builds someone up, but is this the right moment to communicate it? Because for so often, right? Like, what if the other person that you're speaking to, what if they're hungry, angry, lonely, tired? They might not be in a place to receive the actually really valid, really important word you have to say to them. Paul says, you gotta, it's got to fit the occasion. Or maybe you're a boss, and one of your employees just did something really inappropriate with a customer, the way they treated them, or said something off to a, a fellow coworker, but, and you're, but you're in a group. And maybe you need to confront that person, but you, to do that in front of the whole group would be really damaging. So you need to say something, but you can't say it then. Is it necessary now is the question. Or if you have a young child, they're in the midst of throwing a temper tantrum. Like their, their like logical mind is shut off at that point. Like you are not going to, like you can keep speaking loud, more loudly, more forcefully to them, but you are not going to communicate with words to them that moment. You have to help them calm down, and then you can have a conversation. So is it necessary, and is it the right moment? And then finally, does it give grace? So Paul says here, does it give grace? So what I'm about to say, give grace, is it full of life and truth? Does it communicate in the way that it's spoken and the content of what is said that the person I'm speaking to is someone of infinite worth and dignity? Someone worthy of forgiveness and love? And I think that's what Paul means when it was, does it communicate grace? Is it full of grace? It looks at the other person through the eyes of Jesus as someone that he's died for and loves and forgiven. And again, this doesn't mean that we don't have hard conversations, don't say hard things, but we do it from that perspective. So that's the, 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 the censorship filter that we ought to put over our tongues. Does it build up? Is it necessary now? And does it give grace? I wonder which one of those questions of that filter nudges you the most this morning, the Spirit might be speaking to you in. So those are the, the first two practices, to pay attention to our cards, to, to um, censor our words. And then finally, saturate your mind. And again, in the biblical construct of thinking about the heart, the heart and the mind are, are intertwined, overlapping. So we want to pay attention to what's happening in our hearts, but we also need to fill our minds with the right things, because this is really the source, right, of, of where our words come from. In James 1.21, Paul, uh, James writes this, he says, we are to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I love that image of God's word being planted, the good news of the gospel being planted in us. So in order to transform our words, we must receive and saturate our minds with God's words. Let me say that again. In order to transform our words, we must receive and saturate our minds with God's word. And there are lots of ways to do this, obviously. Um, part of what we're doing right now is, is taking in God's word and thinking through it and meditating on it together. But one of the most powerful ways to saturate our minds with God's words is to simply actually just memorize God's words. And the practice of memorizing actually begins to rewire the physicality of our brains. 
Again, by directing them, by focusing our attention on one thing and not another thing, we actually rewire the material of, of your brain. It's a part of renewing our mind. And so this week, I want us to try this challenge together as, as the first, uh, I said this first service as well, that as a whole church that we would do this together. That this week we would memorize Psalm 141, verse 3. And in fact, we have some cards. If you didn't grab one of these on your way in or hand one of these on the way in, on the table with the communion elements, there are these little cards. I just wanted to make this super easy for you. You just walk home, you have this card. Psalm 141, verse 3 says this. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. My kids have been working on memorizing this verse this fall, and sometimes they'll even say to, to me or to my wife, Rachel, like, Mom, you've got to set a guard over your mouth. <laughs> set a, keep watch over the door of your lips, or they'll say that to one another. This has been a good verse for our family to meditate on. And what if multiple times every day this week, what if you, if we as a whole church body repeated to ourselves, even if we only did this for the next seven days, I'd love for us to do it longer, but even just for the next seven days, multiple times a day, we said to ourselves, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And what I love about this particular verse, because we could have chosen Ephesians 4.29 to memorize. That would be a great one. You should memorize that one also at some point or any of the texts from James, what I love about Psalm 141, verse 3, is not only is it a reminder about our need to watch over what comes from our mouths, but it's, it's a prayer, right? It's asking God to do this with us, for us. We need his help. God, oh, Lord, you, you set a guard of my life. You, Lord, keep watch over my lips. Like, I can't do this on my own. It is an expression of faith of real faith that transforms our tongue to pray this prayer. Say, Lord, meet me in this place of vulnerability where I know that I'm weak, where I know that I fail. So I love that this verse is not only a reminder of what we ought to do, but a prayer to, to the Lord, to the risen King, to help us to do it. And this is a way of implanting, nurturing the living word in our hearts. And you can't directly by willpower consistently tame your tongue. James is clear about that. But one thing you can do by direct effort is, is memorize. And that begins to change the soil of what grows in your life. If you do this, over time you will become an incredible source, a fountain of life to everyone in your life. But if you don't, you will spread death we can so quickly, so easily murder people with our tongues. So I encourage you, pick up one of these cards if you didn't grab one already. Take it with you this week. Put it in your pocket, put it in your purse, put it in your planner or whatever, and just remember it multiple times. Even if you just were to read this multiple times a day for five, six days, you probably couldn't help but memorize it. I wonder what God might do just even in the life of our church family and how many lives you touch every day in work, in school, in home, if you were a source of life for those places. Let it saturate your mind this week. And you'll begin to change as you entrust your life and your tongue to the word of life. Because he is the only one who can save. So we trust him today to forgive and heal your heart. Because I said here at the beginning, 
right? All of us have regrets when it comes to words, but we also all have wounds when it comes to words. We have poisoned others, but none of us has gotten to this point of sitting here in this room and have lived however many years of life that you've lived and not have been poisoned by the words of others. Often by people who were supposed to be the ones who were your greatest champions, who were supposed to love you the most. Your friends, a teacher, your mom, your dad. Probably out of their own pain or hurt, whatever, they injected venom into you. And I want us to hear this morning as we close here that, that we are often the ones who curse ourselves the most. That the one person in your life who you most often speak poison to is you. Because no one talks to you more than you do. We all have an inner dialogue that's running all the time. And how often does it run something like, Bill, you are worthless. That was so stupid. How could you have done that? I can't believe you screwed all that again. And when you talk like that, friends, you have to realize you are slandering someone that Jesus made, that he loves, that he redeems. And and don't think just because it's not directed to someone else that Jesus doesn't weep over it. Sometimes Rachel, my wife, and I will be talking and she'll tell me what she's thinking about herself in a moment. And sometimes I have to stop her and say, you're not allowed to talk, to my, talk about my wife that way. Some of the worst things that are said about us are said to us by us. Friends, you have to let Jesus heal the wounds. You have to let him do it. And he was slandered and insulted and mocked and, remi- and remained silent. And he has the power to forgive your poisoned tongue. He has the power to transform it into a source of life. And he has the power to heal the wounds of the words that were spoken to you, to transform them, to heal them, to silence the voice of shame and evil in your heart. So as we close, I just want to pray and ask right now for Jesus to begin to continue to do that work in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I do pray first and foremost that you would forgive us for the poison, forgive me for the poison that I have injected into the lives of the people who most need my encouragement, who most need my care and my love and my support. I also ask that you would begin or continue the work of healing the places that have been wounded, deadened by the words of others in our lives. And while we may never forget that word, that a spouse or a boss, or a parent said to us, would you heal the wounds? Would you transform that pain so that we don't transmit it to someone else? When would we hear your words of truth 
spoken over us, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that yes, we are great sinners, but we have a great Savior, and that is the truest thing about us. Would your spirit do that work for us now? In Jesus' name we pray.